you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms 139, chapter 139. As you know, we're in a series that we've entitled Sounding the Alarm from Within. And what this is about, it's about, you know, we as Christian people putting a, a trumpet to our mouth and sounding the alarm for where we're at as a nation and the leaders that we have as a nation, if they're not godly people, we have the, 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 not just the right but the command from God to put the trumpet to our lift, uh, lips and give warning. And folks, let me tell you something. Like I told you a couple of weeks ago when we began this uh, series, you know, there's no time in the history of our nation, or at least in my lifetime for sure, that an election is no more important than the one that we're facing right now. You know, and, and if you just want to boil it down, what it amounts to is you have a choice for this nation remaining one nation under God or this nation becoming socialistic in its ways because that's just the two options that you have. And we as Christian people, we must put the trumpet to our mouth. We must blow the warning, you know, that, 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 this, that our nation is, you know, is, is in the process and it's, you know, can go in a different way rather than God. You know, I ended last week's message by giving you my counsel to the people of God. And here was my counsel that I left you with last week. It's time we return to the mentality of seeking men and women to elected uh, offices who hold our Judeo-Christian beliefs. If they thumb their nose in the face of God, if they thumb their nose at His Word, then we must refuse to vote for them. If they stand proudly and boast of their, about their killing of 1.3 million unborn children in America every year through the ungodly act of abortion, then we as children of God must stand boldly and say, we will not vote for you, we will not support you. If they stand proudly and boast of their support of redefining God's marriage between one man and one woman, then we as children of God must stand boldly and say to them, we will not support you, we will not vote for you. If they stand proudly and boast of their support of doing away with our religious freedom, then we as children of God must stand boldly and say to them, we will not support you, we will not vote for you. And I ended that last week by saying, that's my opinion and I will not waver from it. Now, I challenged you with, with, with the thought last week that as Christians, our loyalty does not lie with any political party. Rather, our loyalty needs to be first, last, and always to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must vote His values, you know. And, and though we could look at a lot of things this morning... You know, we could look at, you know, uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem. We could look at the Second Amendment that's in, you know, play here. We could look at uh, criminal justice reform. What I want to do this morning, I want to give you my top three values which face our nation. In other words, the top three values that I'm using in this election to make my choice as to who I am going to vote for. The first one is this. The value of human life. And that's what we see here in, in uh, Psalms 139, 15 and 16. Here's what the psalmist has to say. You saw my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's womb. When uh, I was put together there, you saw my body as it was formed. 
all the days planned for me. Now, don't miss this. Every child in the womb of his mothers, God has a plan for that child. And that's what David is saying here. You had my days planned out. 1.3 million babies a year in the United States of America have been aborted. And because of that, God's plan has been altered. Not, not God's fault, not because of God's, but because of ungodly people who make the choice to have an abortion. Now, I know what some people are thinking. Are you saying everybody who has abortion is ungodly? Yes. Okay, I'm not going to even think about that. Yeah, I mean, they're killing an bo- unborn child. That's an ungodly act. You may disagree with that, but it, and if you do, you've got a right to be wrong. But look here. Here's what David is saying. You had my days planned for me, and they were written in your book before I was one day old. Are, are you seeing what David is saying here? That God had written in his book the plan for Gene Hazel's life. Even before I was born, God had a plan for each and every one of you here this morning, and he had it written in his book even while you were in the womb of your mother. Think of the millions of babies who God had plans for, and it was disrupted because of this ungodly act of abortion. Look, life is precious. Life is miraculous. Life is is sacred, you know, and it's created by a loving God who makes everyone unique. Each one of us in here this morning are unique in our own way. God made us that way. This passage was a prayer of King David. Even before the time of ultrasound, David knew that life began at conception. We don't need ultrasound to, to, to prove that. David, you know, knew way back then. Here's the fact. It's a proven fact that a baby's heart begins to beat 18 days from conception. Think about that. 18 days from conception, a baby's heart begins to beat. And by 21 days, the heart is pumping blood through a closed circulatory system. Now, you want to tell me that that's just a blob? (laughs) No. It is a child that God had a life plan for. You see, life made in the image of God is a fundamental human right. It's a fundamental human right. You know, according to the Declaration of Independence, you know, all men are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, The order here in this is very important because I want you to look at this. Life is the first God-given right of every person. Every child that was ever conceived in the womb of its mother, you know, God has a God-given right to be born. Okay? Now... Life is the first God-given right of every human being. Now, if you don't have life, you can't enjoy liberty or the pursuit of happiness. How many children every year are robbed of liberty and the pursuit of happiness because of this ungodly act? of abortion. Unfortunately, our God-given right to life in America has been undermined by a culture of death. 
Here's some heartbreaking facts. Look at this. Every day in America, more innocent human beings are put to death every day than what we lost in the 9-11 attack. Think about that. You see, abortion ends the life of more than 1.3 million unborn children in America. That's not worldwide. Every year. The third thing we see here is nearly 25, and and this this is one that just gets me, nearly 25% of all pregnancies, now that's 25 out of 100, okay, that end in abortion, and an uh, overwhelming majority of those innocent children are simply sacrificed on the altar of convenience. In other words, the mother says it's not convenient for me to have a child at this period in my life. So what do they do? They make this decision to sacrifice that child on the altar of convenience. If I have this child, it's just going to ruin my plans. And the daddy says the same thing. Well, we we, we can't have one right now. We, We can't afford this. So let's just sacrifice it on the altar of convenience. And the fourth thing is nearly... 50 million babies and counting have been killed by abortion in the United States since 1973 when it was made legal. Folks, listen. Abortion is the American Holocaust. That's what abortion is. I'll tell you what. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. We'll have you come turn to a couple of passages this morning. But... I want you to see what the scripture, what the proverb writer, what Solomon had to say about abortion and what our responsibility as children of God is. Here's what he had to say, Proverbs 24, beginning with verse 11. Deliver those who are being taken away to death. Now, let me ask you a question. Are those in the womb of their mother who is being aborted, being taken to death? You better believe it. So we as children of God, we've got to deliver those that are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter or hold them back. Now, verse 12, if you say, we did not know this. In other words, you you just, well, I didn't know this was happening. I didn't know this was wrong. I didn't know. No, look here. If you say, we do not know this, Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Who is he that weighs the hearts? God. So you can't hide it from God. And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? In other words, there is going to be a day of reckoning for those who pass laws that abortion is okay to those who perform the abortion and those who have the abortion. There will be a day of reckoning. How dare any politician or person who says that they're a Christian, you know, support this ungodly act? How can they do that? You know, it makes me sick to my stomach when I see people like Joe Biden and Kamalia Harris and Nancy Pelosi and many of these other Democratic leaders stand in front of a camera claiming to be a Christian and then, you know, they go the next day and they present bills, you know, that, 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 that calls for the exterminating of babies. How dare they? How dare they? 
And you, can I tell you something that's worse than that? This is going to be a hard pill for some to swallow. What's worse than that, folks, are those voters who claim to be Christians and they go in that voting booth and vote for these people. That even makes me more sick at my stomach. Church, we have no excuse. We have no excuse when it comes to our silence on this issue of abortion. If we continue to keep silent, if we continue supporting those who pass laws to kill 1.3 million babies a year, if we do not rise up and say enough is enough, folks, we will one day answer to God as a nation for our silence. For our silence. Eugene Peterson put that verse uh, there in Proverbs 24 this way. I like, I like reading uh, Eugene Peterson's, uh, uh, you know, uh, stuff on this it's just a paraphrase but here's what eugene peterson had to say he or how he paraphrases verse 20 uh, chapter 24 he says rescue the perishing do not hesitate to step in and help if you say hey that's none of my business how many times have you heard christian people say it's none of my business those who claim to be christian how many times have you heard those who claim to be Christians say you shouldn't uh, teach about it in the church, you shouldn't preach about it, preacher should keep his mouth shut when it comes to that? So Eugene Peterson says, how can you say it's none of my business? Will that get you off the hook? Someone's watching you closely, you know. Someone not impressed with your weak excuses. Boy, isn't that a good paraphrase? Someone that's not impressed by your weak excuses folks listen we need to rise up we need to stand up we need to speak up we need to take action why because abortion is wrong abortion is premeditated murder it violates the sixth uh, commandment in exodus you know or in exodus chapter 20 verse 13 and i want you to know that according to that passage god hates it god hates it the scripture says this there are six things that God hates, okay, that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him, and he names them. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Hands that shed innocent blood. Look, God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And let me ask you a question. What blood is more innocent than that of a baby in its mother's womb? There's no more innocent blood. I believe that God's ears are filled with the cries of unborn that are being slain in this nation, and there will be a day of reckoning. Can you imagine God hearing the cry? Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me tell you something. I don't know how many of you have ever watched you know, videos on abortion. There's, there's many different things, many different ways they abort a child. But one of them is to go in with a suction tube and start sucking the baby apart piece by piece, limb by limb. You don't think that baby is crying? You don't think God, that baby is not screaming? Do you think God is not hearing the cries of those babies as they're being torn apart with a suction tube? Or as they go in with a saline solution and they just burn them to death? And what's worse than that is the partial birth abortion to where, you know, they, they deliver the baby with everything but the head still, you know, there. And then they 
poke some scissors in the back of the, 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 the head of the baby and then suck out the brains. You don't think the baby is screaming and you don't think God is not hearing the cries of those babies? God help us as a nation. I believe it's our duty as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, to take a stand. Every day, God welcomes over 4,000 babies in heaven from America on. If you can get a mental picture of that, God standing at the gates of heaven, just taking these newborn babies, some of them he could fit in the palm of our hand. Of course, his hand is bigger and welcomes them into heaven. God help us as a nation. God help us as a people. I believe it's our duty, church, as followers of Jesus Christ, as citizens of America, to find out where these candidates stand on the biblical value of life. And if they have no problem supporting, you know, the the murder of innocent babies, we should have no problem not giving them our vote, period. You know, there are a lot of politicians who one day is going to answer to God for the 4,000 babies coming through the gates of heaven. And a lot of people who vote for them will answer to God also. What did the proverb writer say in Proverbs 24, 12? If you say, hey, it's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely. Someone that's not impressed with your weak excuse. Now, the second value that I have that I base who I vote for is the value of the traditional family. You see, marriage has always, from the beginning of time, been defined as one man and one woman. God instituted the family way back in the Garden of Eden, and every society that has tried to change that design of God has been destroyed. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're told that that God created male and female, and in doing so, He brought to Adam a female for his wife. In short, God created Adam and Eve. He didn't create Adam and Steve. You see, the family is the basic building block of society. And without male and female, there can be no family. Let me say that again. Without male and female, there can be no family. The two genders were meant to complete each other physically, emotionally, and in every other way. In Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 24, God further declares, for this reason, a man, okay, male, man, Okay, will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, female. And they will become one flesh. Look, both genders are needed for a healthy home, folks. Both genders are needed for a healthy home. When this God-given pattern is undermined, the entire superstructure of society becomes unstable, and I suggest to you the way America is viewing, you know, same-sex marriage nowadays, our society is becoming very unstable. Any deviation from this divine, the divine pattern of God, folks, it invites disaster. You see, heterosexuality is the divine pattern, 
But homosexuality is a depraved perversion. Look, the word of God could be no clearer. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, the scripture says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. What's it say? I think we got it up on the screen here. What's it say? It is an abomination. An abomination. In, in Leviticus 20 and verse 13, If a man sleeps with a man as with a woman, they have both committed an abomination. Abomination. Homosexuality, folks, is an abomination before God. Now you say, what in the world is an abomination? An abomination is the strongest biblical word for the denunciation of sin, the proof of which is in God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Some will say, well, that's Old Testament, but Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. I would disagree. In fact, turn to Matthew chapter 19. You know, don't come to me with that argument. That's Old Testament, you know. And, but, but now that we're in the New Covenant, now that we're in the New Testament, Jesus never said anything bad about homosexuality. Well, in Matthew chapter 19, I want to show you some things here. Jesus essentially condemned homosexuality by affirming the divine pattern for marriage. Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verse 3. <clears throat> give you a second to get there. Here's what the Scripture records. The Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife in every cause? And he answered and he said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Wherefore, uh, they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Now you say, well, how, how, is that, how is Jesus condemning homosexuality there? Look here. Jesus is quoting from Genesis 1 and 2, and he clearly states that marriage is between one man and one woman. He's clearly stating that. You know, so if Jesus said marriage is between one man and one woman, it follows logically that marriage cannot be between two men or two women. Look, in affirming God's pattern for marriage, Jesus rejected the perversion of same-sex marriage. Look, I believe it's our duty as followers of Jesus Christ and citizens of America to find out where each candidate stands on the biblical value of the traditional family. And if they're seeking to redefine God's design for the family, then we should have no problem telling them you will not get my vote. And listen to me, there's a lot of them out there trying to redefine God's plan for marriage. Now, my final thing is the value of religious freedom. Look, our religious freedom must be guarded. Our relig religious freedom must be protected, and it must be defended. True freedom only comes with a great price. It comes with a great cost. It comes with a great sacrifice. And it's not only true spiritually with the death of Jesus Christ who set us free from the slavery of sin, but it's true nationally, folks, as a country. As a country. You know, the fight for our freedom 
is never over. It's never over. We have fought for freedom as a nation for over 244 years, and we must continue to fight. As Christians, we can't just roll over and say, just let be done what's going to be done. No, we got to fight, folks, or we're going to lose our religious freedom. We have to fight, or they're not going to allow us to continue to assemble together. You're saying, preacher, you're taking that way too far. No, I am not. You better look at what some of these Democrats out there are promoting. And it's to take away our religious freedom. It's to take away our right to assemble together to worship our God. And if you don't believe that, you're living with your head in the sand. Look, as one of the most basic of freedoms fought for and won, it's that of the First Amendment. It's that of the First Amendment. Here's what, in part, it says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, it's always amazed me how these liberals want to leave out that last part or prohibiting the freedom or the, the free exercise thereof. Look, unfortunately, our religious freedom is under attack in America today. You know, the U.S. Supreme Court has ignored the original intent of our, father, our founding fathers. They've trashed our Judeo-Christian heritage, and they turned a statement of Thomas Jefferson in a private letter around. And as a result, we have the saying now, separation of church and state. We have a, this, this saying that says there's a wall of separation between the church and the state. Now, when you go read that letter that Jefferson wrote to the Danbury you know, Baptist Association, all he was saying in that letter is, you know, there would be no government-controlled church. In other words, government could not establish a religion that everybody had to follow like it was with the Church of England. That's all he was saying in that letter. Listen, pastors must understand, and I've talked to some pastors, and some of them, you know, they're like chiggers to me. I'm not going to joke about it. They get under my skin. Well, Brother Gene, I, you know, we really got to watch what we're going to say. Not lose our 501c3. No, you cannot. You know, any pastors watching this, no, you cannot. You see, here's the thing. You know, we do not, as pastors, give up our First Amendment, or right, our First Amendment right, freedom of speech, just because we step behind this pulpit. I do not have to leave my First Amendment in my office when I step behind this pulpit. You know, and what they say with, don't you remember the Johnson Amendment? They do not understand that the Johnson Amendment of 1954, where it says it prohibits all 501c3 nonprofit organizations from endorsing or opposing political candidates, you know, they're not talking about the past. Look here, here's the thing. The pastor is not the 501c3. I am not the 501c3. The church is the 501c3. Are you following me here? The church is. You know, therefore, it's the church as a whole who cannot vote to endorse or give money to a certain candidate or political party. In other words, I can get up here and tell you all day long who I'm going to vote for. I can get up here and tell you all day long why I won't vote for someone. 
I can get up here all day long and tell you who, who uh, you know, I, I think you should vote for. I'll never tell you who to vote for. That's your own business. But the church cannot, in a business meeting, vote to say we are going to support financially, we are going to endorse this candidate. The church can't do it. But let me tell you something. I can do it all day long. And whether you know it or not, I do it all day long. And I'll continue to do it all day long. Because there's nothing they can do to the church because of what my mouth runs away with, okay? And pastors need to understand that. They, you need to go back and study, pastors, what the 501c3 is all about, what the Johnson Amendment was all about. And let me just throw this in. You know, after what happened is Johnson was upset with some businessmen who had 501c3, you know, and they, they endorsed and they gave a lot of money to his opponent. You go read it. Just look it up. And what he did, he said, I'm going to get back at them. Whether you know it or not, Johnson, you know, he, he, he would get back at people, okay, if they'd done him wrong. And what he said is, well, I am going to put this amendment before Congress that no 501c3 can donate to any political party or any political person, not realizing it was going to affect the church. Later, he come back and said, I didn't realize this was going to affect the church. Church, we have to take a stand for what is right. Pastors, you've got to lead out in that. You've got to lead out in that. Now, there's, there's four tragic results of trashing our First Amendment. What happened when they trashed that First Amendment? Religious, uh, a religious influence moved from public institutions. Does your kids uh, read the Bible in, in, in school anymore? Hey, they don't even say the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't open in prayer no more. Why? Because of them trashing our First Amendment, so to speak. You know, the high court outlawed pu public prayer in schools in 1962. The next thing we see that happened, out went the Bible reading in 1963. And in 1980, down came the Ten Commandments from schoolhouses. And now they've even taken them out of courthouses. All because Christians didn't take a stand when they needed to take a stand. Today in America, if you have faith, you may not be uh, uh, allowed to have freedom. And if you don't believe that, if you watch the Amy Barrett uh, hearings, you know, for the Supreme Court nomination, what did the Democrats do? She's a cat. She's a religious nut. She's going to bring her religion into, into decision-making, you know. You, what were they doing there? Because of her faith, she was not allowed some freedom. Look, many must check their faith at the door in the workplace and the schoolhouse now. And folks, that's not right. In 2009, a liberal Congress passed a hate crimes law. And on, November, I mean, on October the 28th, 2009, Barack Hussein Obama signed it into law. Now, what this law did was it elevated the sinful sexual lifestyle of less than 2% of the population. We're talking about the homosexual population, less than 2% to a level of a civil right, and w ignoring the fact that those who oppose 
homosexuality on biblical grounds will eventually be silenced or threatened with prosecution. Now, what do I mean by that? If, God forbid, okay, same-sex marriage becomes law in the state of Texas, um, this pastor is going to end up in jail for a hate crime. The next time you bring me a pastor's appreciation gift, you'll have to go to the Angelina County Jail to give it to me, okay? Slide it between underneath the door. You say, what do you mean by that, pastor? Because here's the thing. If you're in a state where same-sex marriage is a law, the pastor cannot deny performing a ceremony for a same-sex couple. If just created, he is just a committed, should I say, a hate crime because of the hate crime bill signed into law by Barack Hussein Obama and given to him by liberal Congress. But let me tell you something. I will not perform a marriage between uh, uh, two people of the same sex, period. And if I go to jail for it, so be it. So be it. And according to the hate crime law, again, I've just, uh, you know, I've just uh, committed a hate crime by den- uh, declining to do that ceremony. Look, I believe, again, our First Amendment is under vicious assault today, where a candidate stands on religious freedom, and particularly on judicial philosophy, is absolutely critical to our ability to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom of worship. I believe it's the duty as followers of Jesus Christ and as citizens of the United States of America to find out where these candidates, you know, stand on religious freedom. And if they're seeking to rob us from our freedom of worship and, 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 and stand by our biblical values when we stand by them, then we should have no problem telling them, I'll not vote for you. I'll not support you. Christians, we've got to take a stand or we're going to lose our freedom. So these are my top three values as a value voter. Life, family, and freedom. Those are the values that I use to evaluate each candidate before I voted week before last. But the big question facing Christians in America is, Are we going to let God guide our vote? Or are we going to leave faith, our faith, outside the voting booth? Okay? That's the first thing. Are we going to let God upon his written word? Or are we going to say it's not right to take my faith in what I believe, you know, in my Christian walk into that voting booth? The second thing is this. Are we going to vote biblical values or are we going to vote false promises? The third thing, are we willing to trade our godly heritage and priceless birthright in this nation for what amounts to a bowl of Esau soup? And finally, are we willing to set aside the values of life, family, and freedom in favor of some lesser issues? That's what it comes down to, folks. That's what it comes down to. Just imagine, just imagine here, the difference Bible-believing Christians can make 
on, on, on the moral health of our country. If we take that stand and if we vote our biblical values, the character of its leadership would be affected. And, and the direction of our nation, if we simply live out our values and vote our values, let us not allow evil men to triumph simply because good men have done nothing. Does that sound familiar to you, Miss Kay? She used that one. I had that in the bulletin last week, and she used it on a person this week. And that person said, I've never looked at it that way. And what I mean by that statement is evil people are put in positions of leadership because good people refuse to get out there and vote. Look, let us renew our vow to be salt that stings but heals, to be light that exposes but shines as that is the only way for real change. The only way. Let us put the trumpet to our mouth, church. Let us sound the alarm as the enemy is swooping in, swooping down on this great nation. The values of life, family, and freedom are part of the good news of Jesus Christ, who said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Church, we're not going to experience the abundant life that Christ has available for us if we allow the Democrats to rob us of all the freedom we have. Let's pray.